This is Megan. I'm Christy. And we are Homebrew Murder Crew. So back to Project Prism. Um, it was overseen by Detective Sergeant Michael Richmond, and it was led by Sergeant Hank, sorry, Detective Sergeant Hank Idsigna, uh, who had served on the homicide squad for over 13 years, and he'd been assigned to, assigned to Project Houston for six months. The task force also included an officer from the sex crimes unit and six officers from Police 51 Division, three of whom had been members of Project Houston, the one before this one. The investigation was difficult because of the lifestyle of the subjects who used dating apps yeah. and frequently met people whom they'd never met before. Yeah. So there's a lot of anonymity. Anonymity? Anonymity. I'm so scared. I know. Um, Kinsman's disappearance was so Kinsman's the one that disappeared the day after the Pride yeah. thing, the Pride Festival. Um, his disappearance was central to the creation of Project Prism because of a lead that was obtained at the end of July. Itzigna later said that, quote, a crucial piece of evidence, end quote, was recovered because Kinsman's disappearance had been reported within 72 hours, Ooh. after which evidence could have been lost. So his friends did yeah. bang up job there. According to an agreed statement of facts read in court, police found Bruce on Kinsman's calendar on his little day timer or whatever for oh. June 26th. Hmm, the same day that Kinsman was last seen. Interesting. The plot thickens. So that day, surveillance video outside Kinsman's residence showed a person matching his appearance approaching a red vehicle. The video did not show a license plate or a clear picture of the driver, but chrome siding identified it as a 2004 20 2004 i was gonna say 2004 what a dumb dumb <laughs> identified it as a 2004 dodge caravan there were more than six thousand similar models in toronto but um. only five were registered to somebody named bruce and of those the only 2004 model belong to macarthur that's fucking wild first of all like that's still a lot of bruces to Just, own that's a lot of bruces. Like, bruce. it's a lot of bruces all the like, rest of the bruces are like selling job. right like, now on auto trader that's crazy yeah. that they can find i know like that shit yeah so easily so by late august or september 2017 they matched the van from the surveillance video of macarthur's apartment but it was no longer at his residence of course not mm -hmm. Redacted warrants and police documents partially released by a judge in the mid 2018 in the mid in mid 2018 uh, revealed that in August and September, police investigators had obtained production orders compelling the release of data from Google, Rogers Wireless, Bell Canada, TELUS, Royal Bank of Canada and Manulife Bank of Canada. Around September, tracking warrants have been obtained for vehicles and phones. In October, further orders were granted for information from Yahoo, Air Canada, additional banks, and Pink Triangle Press, which is an LGBT publisher. Yeah. MacArthur was named in a September 8th request to place a judicial seal on the warrants, and a later request to seal warrants issued from September to November noted, quote, the investigation into Bruce, Bruce MacArthur, end quote. An October request noted, 
circumstantial evidence that suggested MacArthur's involvement in the disappearance of five men, including Kinsman. Jeez, that's crazy. That's a lot of warrants that they got from like companies. Like that's something that like we don't ever talk about, but you gotta remember that if you use any of these services, Rogers Bell, Telus, yeah. any of them, like that shit's trackable. Yeah. And like a simple warrant can gain access to any of that. So like, any- it's not. It's, oh, and warrants aren't simple to obtain. No, that's true. Like, you have to have probable probable cause. But it can be done. Like, yeah, it can be done. And somebody out there is reading all your text messages, and somebody exactly. out there is seeing all this yeah. stuff. So like, don't think that you're invincible. Yeah. So on October third, plain clothes. And okay, so we went from mid twenty eighteen, September eighth was the request to place the seal on the warrants. Yeah. Um, in October, we gained access to these warrants. On October 3rd, Plains Closed Police Officers arrived at Dom's Auto Parts in Cordes, Ontario, 70 kilometers northeast of Toronto. They were canvassing businesses of MacArthur's 20... 20 why do I keep wanting to say 2004? For MacArthur's 2004 Dodge Caravan, which owner Dominic Vetterer confirmed he had actually purchased on September 16th. It's like less than a month ago. The police found it intact. Perfect. They had it towed away. Excellent. Excellent. Also, they copied surveillance video from of, of MacArthur visiting the shop. Of course. Perfect. Excellent. Love this. This sounds pretty, pretty like solid. Right. Better said that officers later told him that they had found trace amounts of blood in this vehicle that he purchased off of oh, Bruce. Jesus. Okay. Well, which, my, which, like, biggest... To which point he's probably saying like, well, you're going to find trace amounts of shit in my pants right yeah, now because I am not about this life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. See, I don't think I could ever buy a vehicle off not of somebody a... because of fear of something like this. So again, Vetterer said that the officers later told him that they had found trace amounts of blood in the vehicle and that blood was identified as Kinsman's. This is the man that went missing right after the pride. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Court documents show that in November, cadaver dogs were brought to a Mallory Crescent residence in the Leafside neighborhood of Toronto. Listen, guys, I know that this is seeming a little bit all over the place, but this is just how everything's unfolding it's, here. This was a wild okay? case. Yeah. A wild case. So they, those cadaver dogs were brought to a Mallory Crescent residence in the Leaside neighborhood of Toronto. MacArthur had an arrangement, an arrangement to tend to the owner's yard in exchange for storage space in their garage for his landscaping equipment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh Megan, it's yeah. clicking. It's clicking. Oh, shit. The dogs did not indicate any human remains. Mm-hmm. A camera was installed to monitor the garage. So police installed this camera because they wanted to see his comings and goings, yeah. right? Police also obtained a log of MacArthur's key fob for his apartment. So with this and a tracking warrant for his yeah. cell phone, they were able to build a timeline of the day that Kinsman went missing. Yeah. Right? DNA evidence from MacArthur's van, which matched Kinsman and Essen, oh shit, or Eason, yeah, allowed investigators to obtain a general warrant for MacArthur's apartment on December fourth. Mm-hmm. Police then covertly entered MacArthur's residence and cloned his computer's hard drive. Oh, so like they snuck into his? Oh house yeah, knowing. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know you could do that, but yeah, continue. of course you can. Talk. I didn't know that. I thought they had imagine to, like, they're doing actually that to you. serve you. Like I thought you had to actually be aware. 
So yeah, I, I, I guess if they have the correct warrants or whatever yeah. that they that you don't necessarily need to be served it, they can just like enter their residence. Can Makes you imagine sense. if that was happening to you right now and these police are like in yeah. your apartment? They're like, she changed the floorboards. They would be so walk they'd walk bitch. in and they'd be like, What's she doing? Uh, we'll do this another Things day. are happening here. Well, you guys don't know what She's my got nothing but a like. bed in this place. This is ridiculous. Well, lots suspicious. of stuff, but it's all tucked in there. Yeah. Like I don't have like it's not a living it's like a storage unit. Right. That's suspicious. It Megan. Suspicious. That doesn't that's not a good look for you. I know. And my stove doesn't work. That oh. sucks. Well, at least you can't roast a head in there. That's fine. Okay. On December 5th, after consultation with the community, Project Prism issued a warning about dating apps, urging users to exercise caution when meeting someone. You know what? When I was on the dating apps, I always sent my sister. My sister and I have um, the Life app, the Life 360 app. So she can always see where I am. If she logs into it, she can always, mm-hmm. even right now, she can see that I'm well, sitting here. So like, I know like on an iPhone, if you tap the power button twice or four times, sorry, oh, then it I have, make an emergency yeah. call. I know I'm speaking on behalf of iPhone users. Yeah. You can speak on behalf of Android. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also you can send, um, so I think that sends out, you can select people as your emergency contact yeah. that it'll send that notification yeah. to. But I think that would also like make an emergency call to 911. Yes, because it'll call 911. At the same time, it sends that emergency alert to those contacts in your phone, right? The amount of times that Brittany has done that to me by accident, Brittany, is ridiculous. Um, See, mine doesn't call 911, but if I hit this button, you can pick which button it is on the Samsung. So I picked the, um, I don't even know what button this is, the power, that's not even the power button. But anyways, the one that wakes up your phone. Mm-hmm. If I hit it six times in a row, it sends a it sends a pin to my three contacts of where I am. Yeah. On the Google Maps. Nice. It also sends them a photo. So like whatever, like whatever my phone is facing in that moment, really? it sends the photo. Okay. So guys, I urge you to look into whatever your phone can do in this mm-hmm. situation, especially yeah. if you are on dating apps. But yeah. like not even that yeah. just because anybody can be at risk of any yeah. kind of creepy person i set mine up when i had that bad ex that like, mm. the issue with my last mm-hmm. ex and um i chose three of two of my co-workers for my last job the amount of times that i've accidentally sent them like the message it sends them a text I'm like oh it's got like an, an alert message they get the pin and then they get a photo bitch how you always... pressing that button six times by accident i don't know like there was one time that I was working at the gym and I had this like red sweater on and it was in my sweater pocket. And you're like, the photo was literally like red. It was like a red photo. That's good. That's good. I wonder if I could pull one up and show you, but continue and I'll show you. So anyways, everybody look at your phone and see what it can do and the capabilities for safety purposes. Um, in a December 8th news conference, Project Prism investigators said that they had, and, and this is still 2018, I believe. No, 20, 2017. This is 2017. In a December 8th, 2017 news conference, Project Prism investigators said that they completed 62 witness interviews 28 judicial authorizations and assigned 308 actions of which 225 have been completed. Police had also conducted searches utilizing resources uh, from the mounted and canine units. On one occasion, uh, a drone was even used 
pretty high tech stuff. Yeah. Um, they said that they had no evidence to link the disappearances at this point. Interesting. I know we're all rolling our eyes. Yeah, that's, um, let's keep going. That sounds about right. So the investigation picked up on January, 2018. So we're into the new year on January 17th, which is, um, <laughs> coincidentally my husband's birthday and my dad's birthday. Oh, Jesus. Oh, the two most toxic men in my life. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We love you, Nolan. Not kidding. Just kidding. He doesn't listen to this podcast. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Um, neither, does my two, neither does my dad. So it's totally fine. My mom does. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. Hi, Ma- mommy G. Mama Megan. Mama Megan Gillis. Um, so on January 17th, two pieces of evidence came to light directly connecting MacArthur to the disappearances of Essen and Kinsman. A partial download from MacArthur's computer which is going through forensic analysis of deleted files because you know, yeah. you're guilty and you're hiding shit. Yeah. Uh, yielded post-martem, post-martem, post-martin. Hey, Martin. Hi, Martin. <laughs> post-martin. <laughs> yielded post-mortem photos of the victims that day. Wow. Disgusting. That is round the clock. Surveillance was then put on MacArthur with the instructions that he should be immediately arrested if observed alone at any point with anyone so when officers saw a man go into the building with macarthur they went to his apartment and arrested macarthur after he answered the door oh, that, there's a there tarantino part there it yeah. is all coming back all together right. here police Did they find the guy yeah police oh, found God. john restrained in macarthur's Whew. bedroom macarthur was then charged with first degree murder in the death of Essen and Kinsman, even though the men's bodies hadn't been found yet. Oh, Police also attribute three other murders of unknown men to MacArthur in a search warrant obtained that day. So John, Jesus. our, our okay. man, our mystery man from the very beginning, yeah. he, I, I knew you were going to get there, but the whole time you're talking, I'm like, what happened to John? What yeah. happened to John? What yeah. happened to John? So he's fine. Okay, he has survived. And he still, that's why he goes under the alias John, because he doesn't yeah. want Fair to enough. be, you know, obviously. Fair enough. So now we're going to talk about the early life of Bruce MacArthur. So Thomas Donald Bruce MacArthur, um, never trust a man with four names. Oh Let's goodness. start there. Yeah, for right? sure. Um, or Bruce MacArthur. As yeah. We know him now. So Thomas Donald Bruce MacArthur, the man with four names. You cannot trust a man with four names. Nope. Or Bruce MacArthur, uh, as we know him now. Uh, he was born on October 8th, 1951 in Lindsay, Ontario. Uh, he was raised on a farm in Argyle near Woodville in the Kawartha Lakes region. In addition to raising MacArthur and his sister, his parents fostered troubled children from Toronto, often with like six to 10 in their care at a time. Um, and had a, actually a good reputation in the area, according to a family friend. Yeah. But can I ask you a question? Like yeah. when you're fostering all these kids that are there's like, no, like how you, do you focus oh on your own? Children? Exactly. And I, I can't imagine how their own children would feel like probably pretty on the back burner. Yeah. Right. Cause even like siblings, like siblings yeah. struggle with having exactly younger siblings or right. Other siblings, right? Yeah. Imagine just like, and that power can't... struggle between like yeah. who gets the parents attention and, and when, and you know, that sort of thing is just what? like, like, I mean, I commend them for doing what they've done, but no. so Bruce, Bruce attended a one room schoolhouse outside of Woodville. And when I heard one room schoolhouse, I could not help but think about, um, and that's why we drink podcasts because uh, M is obsessed with one room schoolhouses they're obsessed with them yeah they're obsessed with them um 
anyways we love you shameless plug for that podcast who will never hear us um a classmate recalled him trying to be the teacher's pet and informing on mischief by the other boys with whom he didn't fit in and bruce's mother was irish catholic his father was scottish presbyterian so i don't know a whole lot like i never really follow i grew up in the the catholic school system but like i don't know all i know essentially from this is that these are two very vastly different views of the catholic or christian faith right right? um so they were both devout which caused arguments in which bruce often supported his mother and this led to ridicule by um, his strict father who bruce later felt may have sensed his homosexuality is how he described it um he bruce also had trouble accepting his own sexual orientation which would have been seen as abnormal in rural ontario at that time right yeah in the 50s of course of course yeah so bruce was bused to nearby fenelon falls secondary school for his secondary education where he met and began dating janice campbell both graduated in 1970 and Bruce later graduated from a program in general business. And then they got married uh, when he was age 23. Oh, damn. She was his beard. Mm-hmm. So Bruce began working for Eaton's department store chain as a buyer's assistant around, assistant, sorry, around 1973 in downtown Toronto, in a downtown Toronto building, sorry, which was later demolished for construction for the Eaton Center. Mm-hmm. Um, a few blocks north from his workplace there was a gay village forming on young street between college and wellesley streets um same-sex adult sexual behavior having been decriminalized four years earlier in 1969. it's crazy like that i hate to hear it's crazy how recent that was you guys like how recent it was that that you know people who are people and who have right to love whoever you want to fucking love. Mm-hmm. Like love is love. Yeah. It's, it's only been that amount of time since they had actual rights. That's ridiculous. So Bruce left Eaton's in 1978 and he began working as a traveling salesman for McGregor socks. <laughs> soliciting department stores to carry his merchandise. So he'd go basically department store to department store and say, Hey, look at these socks. Aren't they neat? Wouldn't you <laughs> say my collection's <laughs> complete? Um, I love then, it. Yeah. He was Little really good at it apparently. Thing. Yeah. He later worked for a merchandising representative, uh, for a garment company called Stanfields. And in the mid 1970s, uh, Bruce's father was diagnosed with a brain tumor and he was sent oh. to a nursing home darn bruce became pretty disappointed when his mother took interest in another man and he actually ended up growing much closer to his father at that time and his mother died of cancer in 1978 and his father died and succumbed to his illness in 1981. in 1979 bruce and his wife they moved into a house on ormond drive in oshawa and by 1981 they had a daughter oh and kids and a son Uh uh-oh I never knew. Or sorry, in nineteen by nineteen eighty one, they had a daughter and a son. Yeah, no, that's that's right. By nineteen eighty one, they had a daughter and a son. Um, I do have their names, but I don't feel that it's necessary to mention them. So it's no, neither here nor there. In nineteen eighty six, the family bought a home on Cartriff Avenue in Oshawa. Uh, Bruce became very active in his church. He kept himself busy to avoid having to 
examine his homosexual feelings. Mm. And then he began having sexual affairs with men in the early 1990s. More than a year later, he came out to his wife, but they continued living together. Like she was very understanding, accepting. She wasn't ready just to tear their family apart at right. that point. Right. Which is pretty big. We commend her for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometime in 1993, Bruce's employment in the clothing trade came to an end. The couple faced financial difficulty in part due to legal issues connected to their um, then teenage son, who, uh, just a sidebar here, was obsessively making obscene phone calls to women that he didn't know. Oh, okay. There's a so, lot to unpack right yeah, there. Yeah, right? Like, that's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, so the couple mortgaged their home in 1997, and they declared bankruptcy in 99. Wow. Bruce separated from his wife in 97 and moved to Toronto because there was no gay community in Oshawa at that time. Yeah. He frequented the gay bars of Church and Wellesley, Toronto's gay village, and moved into an apartment on Don Mills Road while pursuing a four-year relationship with another man. When they broke up and his divorce was being finalized, uh, Bruce saw a psychiatrist and was prescribed Prozac for several months. At about this time, he was attempting to gain work as a landscaper. Interesting. Now... Fast forward a few years to October 31st, 2001, a few weeks after his 50th birthday around 12 noon, um, Bruce followed an actor and model named Mark Henderson into his apartment building after being invited into his apartment to see his Halloween costume. Um, Bruce struck mark in the head several times from behind with an iron pipe that he often just casually carried on his person no red flag there mm, oh that's totally is, normal is that a uh iron pipe in your pocket or are you just happy to see me um anyways not mm. victim blaming here but no. it's just like how are you just casually carrying this around yeah. why um mark fought back before losing consciousness, he called 911 when he awoke and came to, and he was taken to St. Michael's Hospital. He had suffered injuries to his head and body, and he needed several stitches on the back of his head and his fingers, as well as six weeks of physiotherapy. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, Bruce turned himself in after the attack. Well, he had remorse. He, yeah, well, he said he didn't remember the incident or why he might have done it. He pled, He pleaded guilty to the charges of assault with a weapon and assault causing bodily harm on April 11th, 2003. Uh, he received a conditional sentence of 729 days, which is two years less a day. A further charge of carrying a concealed weapon was withdrawn at the time. God knows why. The Crown Attorney had earlier believed jail time was warranted, but agreed to a conditional sentence after psychiatric and pre-sentencing reports suggested that uh, MacArthur was a low risk to reoffend. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. The victim said by the crown to have been traumatized by the incident. He did not provide a victim impact statement for the sentencing, which I mean, you can't blame him. You know, this shit fucking happens to you. The last thing you want to do is go up there and be like reliving it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. That's fair. Um, and there were concerns that Bruce's unexplained behavior may have been due to the combination of his anti-seizure medication with amyl nitrate, mm. uh, which is a muscle relaxant, which sometimes taken which yeah. is sometimes taken recreationally before yeah. sex. 
mm. to like relax you. Gotcha. Okay. So Bruce avoided incarceration. 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 Bruce avoided incarceration. Um, he spent the first year of his sentence under house arrest, followed by a six-month curfew and three years of probation. During the sentence, he was barred from church in Wellesley, except for work and medical appointments. He had to stay at least 10 meters from the victim's home or workplace. He couldn't spend time with male prostitutes. MacArthur was forbidden to possess firearms for 10 years. He was not to purchase, possess, or consume drugs without a medical prescription, and specifically not to possess poppers, which are like drugs of the chemical class, like that alkyl nitrates or whatever. Nitrates. He also had to submit his DNA to a database and was compelled to undertake psychological and psychiatric counseling, including anger management. Oh, that sounds like a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. In 2014, MacArthur was granted a record suspension on the conviction, which was subsequently expunged from his record. Oh, okay. That assault was expunged from his record. Wow. And would not have appeared in criminal background checks during subsequent investigations. God knows why. That's fucked up. Most records and exhibits were destroyed in 2010 in compliance with Toronto Police Service's uh, retention policy, which is like, I don't know if it's anything like medical records. It's like you keep them for five years and you, you know, recycle them or whatever. But the only surviving documents would have been transcripts of the guilty plea and sentencing hearing, the psychiatric report and pre-sentencing report ordered during the trial and pictures of the victim's injuries and the weapon. Wow. But I guess no red flags would go off. No. So further on, so going back, that was 2014 that the he was granted a suspension and expunged. 2001 was when that assault took place. Wow. Um, 2002, while the assault case was still before the courts, MacArthur registered with Recon, which is a gay fetish dating website for men into BDSM. It's like, I'm sorry, but like, and I put this on our one in true crime page of this man who is known to be on dating websites out of Cochrane and he's currently under criminal investigation. He's dangerous. And it's like, my dude, maybe not the best time to be putting yourself out there sexually. Yeah. Right. Maybe let's, maybe let's have a little bit of chill. Yeah. Anyways. So he did that. His profile was noted, uh, his profile noted his interest in submissive men. So he's the he's dom, dom and yeah. he wants submissive men. He was active on numerous gay dating websites, including Silver Daddies, Man Jam, Grinder, Bear 411, Bear Forest, Scruff, Daddy Hunt, Squirt, and Growler. MacArthur joined Facebook in 2011. Oh my God. Cataloged his nightlife of pictures of parties, vacations, birthday dinners, and concerts. As um, one does. Yep. Yeah. Younger men of South Asian or Middle Eastern descent were in several pictures. Mm. And by this time, Bruce had become a part of the gay community. And he was a regular at his bars. And since 2007 or 2008, he was living in a 19th floor apartment in, at the Leaside Towers in Thorncliffe Park, a neighborhood that was populated mainly by immigrants about five kilometers northeast of church in wellesley so pretty close oh boy um bruce's 2003 banishment from church and wellesley remained well known and he had developed a reputation for bdsm and rough sex so again because of that assault charge yeah that he had right now bruce becomes self-employed a self-employed landscaper 
Lovely. Operating under the name Artistic Designs. A colleague who installed water features on the three of MacArthur's projects described him as more of a gardener yeah. than anything. He operated out of a little white van with old tools. He said that Bruce was always accompanied by an older white man who appeared to be romantically involved with him oh. and a day laborer, usually of Southeast Asian or Middle Eastern descent. That's not suspicious. Mm, most of Bruce's clients were wealthy elderly women who found him charming. Oh. And he built a client base through personal recommendations. Yeah. During the off season, Bruce portrayed Santa Claus. Oh, geez. Christ. At a mall. And he made floral gifts for charities. Mm -hmm. This man had motherfucking children sitting on his lap. And telling him what they wanted for Christmas. Fuck. I'm like, well, I want to throw up in that my is mouth. Disgusting. I'd sooner eat my own face than I have guess, to oh, I guess know that. When did this happen? Because <sighs> these charges were like, don't think they should be doing criminal background checks on fucking Santa Clauses. They should be. Um, okay, so we're gonna get into the homicide investigation portion of this. Remember, um, he at the beginning of this episode, he was charged into his house by the police yeah. during sexual relations with sexual relations with a man that presumably he was going to unalive yeah he was definitely suffocating him he that's, was that's in the midst of unaliving this yeah. man he was interrupted by the police and an investigation occurred to which they figured at least five victims at this point okay so at the time of macarthur's arrest detective Edsigna had said that the police believed that he was responsible for the deaths of other men and were most concerned with the, with identifying these men. So doing so included coordinating with other police services, tracing MacArthur's whereabouts and his online activity. Mostly by the end of January, 2018, because remember he was arrested January 18th, 2018. Yeah. So by the end of January, uh, detective insignia said that they were investigating an alleged serial killer who had concealed evidence by burying it across the city. So they're finally admitting that there's a serial killer. Finally. Okay. That took fucking forever. Yeah. He described the ongoing case as unprecedented with hundreds of officers involved and 30 properties to be searched. 30 properties to be searched. Okay? Wow. The OPP, the Ontario Forensic Pathology Service, OFPS, and the Center of Forensic Science, CFS, were aiding with the searches of Bruce's apartment and the Leaside property. Jesus. Now, additional charges were laid, and at the end of February of 2018, the investigation was expanded to outstanding murder cases, hundreds of missing person cases, and some death occurrences coordinating with other Canadian and international forces. Like this shit went wild. Oh my God. I went, crazy. they be wilding right now with yep. this. Okay. So police executed search warrants on January 18th at like the, the day that he was arrested at five properties associated with Bruce and his landscaping business four in Toronto and a nine acre property about 200 kilometers northeast of Ma in Maddock, Ontario. The Maddock property and a home on Conlins Road where uh, residences of Roger Horan, who is a landscaper and longtime friend of Bruce. Another property searched was the condominium of uh, Bruce's former boyfriend on Concord Place. 
So these three properties were released back to their owners by January 23rd. So it didn't take too, too long. Um, But of greater concern to investigators were MacArthur's high-rise apartment in Thorncliffe Park and the Mallory Crescent residence in Leaside. Oh my God, he's got a lot of places. The fuck he does. That's fucking crazy. So the now owners of the Leaside residence, they were barred from their home on January 18th so that forensic investigators investigators could search it. That's terrifying. Oh my oh, God, could you right? The search Jesus. of the property was extended to an adjacent ravine aided by cadaver dogs and members of heavy urban search and rescue team. The dogs took a strong interest in a large planter in large planter boxes on January 19th. Oh, shit. The planters had frozen to the ground, requiring heaters to thaw them. A large planter was wrapped on January 22nd and brought to the coroner's office. So they just fucking wrapped that shit they up. They just fucking took and it. And then yeeted it right out Holy of there. Shit. And it was like, we're taking this to the coroner's office yep. because there's a heavy hit on this shit. On January 29th, police announced that they had found the dismembered skeletal remains of at least three people in two of the 12 large planter boxes seized from the lee side oh residence oh my god remember this guy is a self-made landscaper although these remains had not been identified police had gathered enough evidence to charge bruce with three additional counts yeah, of thanks. first degree murder in the presumed deaths of majid kehan a project houston subject sarosh Mahmoudi, who disappeared in 2015, and Dean Lissowick, who was a homeless man who ne- was never reported missing. Oh, no. Yeah. So former homicide detective Mark Mendelson said that the investigation would become, quote, the largest Toronto has undertaken, end quote. Criminologist and Western University professor Michael Artenfield said that the alleged method of disposal suggested a sophisticated killer who had developed his craft. And as most serial killers begin in their 20s, the crimes could go back several decades and represent the longest run of a serial killer on record. Holy shit. MacArthur's past as a traveling salesman suggested to John Bradford, who is a forensic psychiatrist and expert on serial murders, that police might have a province-wide investigation ahead of them. Because he's going everywhere, right? Like, he's traveling. He's like a truck driver, right? He's going all the places. He's untraceable. Toronto crime journalist James Debro said that the allegations suggest that Bruce was the deadliest known serial killer in Toronto and the, quote, most pro- prolific, end quote, gay serial killer in Canada. Wowzers. Probably, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, now we're February 8th, 2018. Police announced that they had found the remains of three more people in planters from the Lee side residence and that one of the six sets of remains belonged to Kinsman. Yeah. The man that went, that went missing after the pride parade. Right. Identified through fingerprints. Investigators said that it could be months before all the remains were identified. Additional planters were seized from across the city, including one from the Downforth neighborhood and two properties in North Rosedale that were searched. 
Cadaver dogs were having trouble detecting scents due to the cold weather and frozen ground. So beginning on January 19th, heaters in a large tent were used to get gradually thaw the frozen ground in oh the backyard God. of the Leaside residence oh at a location Lord. indicated by both cadaver dogs and ground penetrating radar. Yeah. A forensic pathologist was expected to take at least 10 days to excavate for remains by hand, oh by God. hand. Yeah. Forensic anthropologist, Kathy Grusbier, who arrived to oversee the ex excavation. Uh, she didn't find any sign of soil disturbance by previous digging. Uh, excavation of two sewage lines at the home was conducted on February 13th and a section of the line was removed for testing. Because remember, people like to flush remains. Yep, I was going to say. Forensic investigators spent hundreds of fucking hours searching every fucking inch of this fuckhead's apartment oh where Lord. Detective Insigna suspected some of the murders occurred. It took them several weeks before searching MacArthur's bedroom because they're like, they have to work like corner by corner, like a little square piece by little square piece, right? Until right. you can't just like bum rush a bedroom. No, you have to work your way in. So they got to the bedroom where they expected to find the bulk of their evidence. The search concluded on May 11th, having occupied 10 forensic officers for nearly four months. Holy fuck. They took more than 18,000 photographs and collected over 1,800 items. Doctor, doctor, Detective Insigna noted the thoroughness required as the first murder was believed to have occurred eight years previously. So that's why it took them so long because it's eight oh, years in between yeah. the first and the last right the searches of the leaside home and macarthur's apartment made up the largest forensic investigation conducted by the tps oh my lord ever up to this point february 23rd bruce is charged with six counts with sorry with a sixth count of first degree murder in the death of navaratnam a subject of project houston right. so he goes back to the beginning of our yeah, little story here. Uh, Navaratnam's remains and those of um, Mahmoudi were identified through dental records. Um, and they had been recovered from planters at the Leaside residence. Right. On March 5th, Toronto police held a press conference and released a photo of an unidentified deceased man alleged to be another one of his victims. They had exhausted all their options in identifying the man and they hoped that the public could help. Uh, police later received over 500 tips regarding the photo and they were checking yeah. on 22 potential potential identities. Oh my lord. They also announced that a seventh set of remains had been recovered from the Leaside fucking planters. Oh a seventh God. set! What? That was his like dumping ground. Ontario's chief forensic pathologist said that this organization had never before been involved in an investigation with such scope, drawing on the skills of each member for many unique challenges, such as like scientific issues related to decomposition, postmortem, and dismemberment. Wow, like bro. this shit was off the fucking walls. Holy, this blew up fast. On April 11th, 2018, MacArthur was charged with a seventh count of the first degree murder yep. in the death of Fazi, Fazi, Abdul Basir Fazi. He was at this point charged with the deaths of all five men from the Project Houston. No. And Project Prism Investigations. Oh my fuck. The charge came as Fazi's 
remains were identified from the Lee side planters along with those of Essen and Lissowick. Yeah. Investigators had finished searching the Lee side planters from which the remains of all but Cahan had been identified. So they had one set of unidentified remains at this point. They had also searched eight additional planters from elsewhere in the city, which had contained no human remains. And I'm sorry, but if you've ever been in a city that just has fucking these massive planters dividing the roads, like they're everywhere. Yeah. And how many you have to search through? On April 16th, Bruce was charged with an eighth count of first degree murder in the death of Krushna Kumar Kanagrathnam. Whose remains were the seventh set identified from the Lee side planters? Okay. Police said that his name had not come from the many tips generated by the release of his postmortem photograph, but that he had been identified with the help of an undisclosed international agency. Wow. So they were able to obtain information, I guess, internationally. Good. Kenagaratnam was a Tamil asylum seeker who was under a deportation order and had not been reported missing. Oh, unfortunately shit. uh police said that they would look into why his name was not on a list of missing persons he had last had contact with his family in august of 2015 and police believe that he'd been killed between september 3rd and december 14th 2015 his family was probably too afraid to report him missing because he was on a deportation order yeah and he's probably you know trying yeah. to lay low and uh not out himself that's so terrible yeah. fuck so the scope of the investigation was expanded at the end of february 2018 looking at outstanding murder cases hundreds of missing person cases and some death occurrences and coordinating with other canadian and international forces police had received tips from around the world including countries where bruce had vacationed yeah which is crazy detective insignia said that the investigation would take years A police source told the National Post that Bruce had covered his tracks using aliases online, yeah. pay phones instead of cell phones, avoiding areas with surveillance cameras. And yeah. the source suggested that Bruce had obviously targeted vulnerable men who didn't have a fixed address or who had not told their families that they were gay. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Detective Sergeant Stacy Gallant of the TPS Homicide Squad's cold case unit said that uh, active crime scenes of the investigation took precedence over revisiting old cases. Mm. So each of 600 cold cases would be looked at or was looked at, sorry, um, for consideration of further attention. Right. They drew up a list of 15 homicide cold cases linked to the gay village and fitting the general profile of the victims identified so far. Uh, investigators began investigators began reviewing these cases dating between 1975 and 1997 holy shit for a possible connection to macarthur and remember he was born in 1951 so he would have been in his 20s in 1975 when they say that he is a sophisticated serial killer who would have began in his 20s Uh uh-oh uh-oh how many of those did they link to him we don't know is still unknown um 
by mid-July, yeah, it's still unknown, forensic testing related to the cold cases was underway. Cold cases include some of a series of brutal murders in the gay village between 75 and 78, when Bruce would have been 23 to 26 years old and working just a few blocks south. The victims of these crimes, all gay men, were found in their homes, naked, tied to beds, and stabbed or beaten to death in a manner described as overkill. In October of 2018, homicide detective David Dickinson said that they had not yet found any links forensically between MacArthur and these cold cases. It fits the bill, though. It does. It really does. Uh, Investigators had planned to return to the 30 properties associated with Bruce in April or May when the frozen ground had thawed allowing cadaver dogs to operate with greater accuracy. A detective in Cigna said that um, he was particularly interested in excavating at three properties. The excavations included a return visit to Leaside residence where the remains have been found. Additional tip-offs caused the number of properties to be searched to grow to 75, then 100 from three. Oh, Jesus, because of places he worked. Yeah, and then additional tips came oh in. Oh, my God. And the number three grew to 75 and to then to 100. 100. Holy fuck. My God. Some of them outside the city. Yeah. A team of seven cadaver, cadaver dogs, some on loan from the greater Toronto area police forces, were searching the properties by the second week of May. And these searches had concluded by the first week of June. Follow-up investigations had then considered whether additional searches would be required. Between July 4th and 13th, 20 police investigators conducted excavations in the forested ravine behind Leaside property. They began sifting through a large compost pile, then uh, proceeded with the guidance of trained dogs and a forensic anthropologist. And um, they uh, collected human remains almost every day of the search. Holy fuck. Um, on July 20th, it was announced that the remains belonged to Kahan. Okay. And that the remains of all of Bruce's alleged victims had now been identified. Oh, wow. So Detective Insigna said that they had no evidence suggesting MacArthur was connected to any other deaths at this point, though the investigation into cold cases was going to continue. Okay. Following a judicial pre-trial on November 30th, uh, Bruce appeared in court and was told that his trial would begin on January 6th, 2020, and that it was likely to last three to four months. Mm, that seems kind of short for the amount of evidence we should have. And also, we're coming close to COVID time. Mm, I know, right? On January 29th, before Justice John McMahon, MacArthur pleaded guilty to each of the eight first degree murder charges that he was facing mm. ending the possibility of any trial good news each murder was either premeditated or involved other crimes which qualified them as first degree so six were sexual in nature and five included confinement uh, bruce kept trophies from his victims including jewelry and a notebook DNA from four of the victims had been found in his van. Catlon then outlined MacArthur's post-offense rituals that he had hundreds of post-mortem digital photographs of his victims, which were recovered forensically after he tried to delete them. Oh, I bet some of them were uh, tacked to his wall in his bathroom, too. He took staged post-mortem photographs 
like with ropes around their necks oh, or with them nude disgusting. in a fur coat or a hat. And this fur coat was recovered in his fucking van too, like under oh. a floorboard of his van. Oh, oh my God. Um, some photographs had them with her heads and beards shaved, which is fucking weird. Like he shaved them. Yeah. Postmortem. Oh. And, and Bruce having kept their hair in Ziploc bags in a oh. shed at Mount Pleasant Cemetery. Oh, Jesus Christ. What the fuck? I am bamboozled. So Cantlon said that MacArthur sought out and exploited vulnerabilities, obviously, in his victims yeah. that made his crimes difficult to detect. That he used sex to lure them, killing many in his bedroom through ligature strangulation. One photograph showed a rope around a victim's neck twisted with a metal bar wrapped in tape. Oh, which is a garrot? Mm, is that what that's called? Yes. Which is, it's a mechanism to control Sorry. the pressure during yeah, strangulation. It's called a garrot. Oh my god! Yeah, the bar was found in MacArthur's 2017 van and contained the DNA of Kinsman and Eason. Ooh, fuck. So MacArthur's sentencing hearing began on February 4th of 2019. Now, a 2011 change to the criminal code permits a judge to order that parole ineligibility periods be served consecutively for offenses committed after that year, which would include six of MacArthur's murders. So the crown asked for a 50 year parole ineligibility citing quote, the enormity of MacArthur's crimes end quote, his lack of remorse because MacArthur declined to address the court at all. Yeah. Um, the betrayals upon his victims, the yeah. effect of his crimes on the community and how he had been a danger up to his arrest. Yeah. See, 50 years seems really lenient, but when you consider the fact that he was an old man when he was arrested, right. that would be more than the rest of his right. life. Now, his Bruce's attorney said that such a sentence would be, quote, unduly harsh, end quote, Undu given his age. And noted that, well, hey, he waived a preliminary hearing and he pleaded guilty which benefited all involved in the proceedings. So this is just not fair. He fucking admitted to killing seven, eight, eight. people, eight people. That's not fair. I think 50 was lenient. And I think the only reason that 50 was acceptable was because he was fucking old. Yeah. On February 8th, justice McMahon sentenced MacArthur to life imprisonment with no parole eligibility for 25 years. They wanted 50. We got half of that. Jesus. So he'll be 91 when he's eligible for parole. Let's hope. But um, even then, like McMahon said that it would be highly unlikely that he would be granted parole at that time. And the Toronto yeah. Sun noted that uh, Bruce is overweight with type 2 diabetes. Oh. It's not even likely that he's even going to live that long. Um, I'm also overweight with type 2 diabetes. And uh, I'm not a piece of shit. No, so. you're not out there murdering people. Yeah. Um, now... I've got a little bit just to like round it all off. So I really wanted to end by just talking about the victims. Yes. Five victims were noted by investigators for similarities. They were middle-aged bearded patrons of the black Eagle bar in which he frequented and dated one of the bartenders at one point. Um, and they were self-identified quote unquote bears, which are gay men with overtly masculine traits. Yeah. Uh, they had also disappeared over holiday weekends, Navaratnam over Labor Day weekend. 
um, Fazzy over Christmas, Kahan during Thanksgiving, Essen on Easter, and Kinsman after Toronto Pride. Now, during Bruce's sentencing hearing, prosecutors said that the eight victims had ties to Church and Wellesley and a social life in that community. Uh, physical similarities, which usually include facial hair, beard, um, six were from South Asia or the Middle East. He had a type. Yeah. Several of the deceased had characteristics that made them more easily victimized or the crimes at least easier to conceal, uh, such as moving between temporary residences or keeping aspects of their lives secret. Right. Right. So 40 year old Skandaraj uh, Navaratnam or Skanda, as he was known to his friends, He's remembered as charming, kind, and charismatic man who came to Canada as a gay immigrant from Sri Lanka. His brother, Navasilan, um, he said that Skanda was the live wire in our family Aww. and a jovial character since childhood. Yeah. He wanted to give his family a better life and while in Canada, financially supported them. And also longtime friend Kevin Nash first met Navaratnam in 1994. Uh, when he was in a relationship with one of Nash's friends. If you knew Skanda, he said, you would love him. He was very attractive, handsome young man with charismatic attitude who loved to laugh. One summer, Nash's son briefly went missing. And Nash says that Navaratnam hopped on his bicycle and scoured nearby parks looking for him. Like just hopped on his bike and was like looking for his friend's son. Ugh. That is so heartbreaking. Like... You always hear, like, how fucking great these people were. I know. And, like, it just breaks your fucking heart. Like, but it's so important to know that, like... It takes somebody so yeah. pure from this world. Yeah. It's just fucking... Ugh, 25 years to life is not <clears throat> mm-hmm. enough. No, not at all. Uh, Navaratnam met Bruce in 1999, and the two were in a relationship at some point in the early two thousands. Uh, Navaratnam went missing over Labor Day weekend in 2010. He was last seen leaving zippers nightclub near church and Carlton streets with an unknown man. Now his best friend, Jean guy Cloutier, Cloutier, sorry, used to text with him every morning. So when he didn't hear from Navaratnam for several days, he reported him missing in his victim impact statement. Cloutier described Navaratnam as a very proud man who took care of his appearance, was well-groomed and made sure that he was always in a positive light. He was the most outgoing person with a personality to go with it and was always there to help his friends. Cloutier said Navaratnam also loved all animals and was an environmentalist who sought to protect the forest and jungles in Sri Lanka. Navaratnam was almost unbeatable at Scrabble, which is so cute. Um, (laughs) Navaratnam's remains were taken to India. His brother says. Oh, good. Yeah. Abdul Basir or Basir Fazi, 42, was funny, smart, and loved his kids, according to a longtime friend. He was also living a double life as a gay man when he went missing in 2010. Yeah. Fazi's wife, two daughters, and longtime friend had no idea that he was frequenting Toronto's gay village neighborhood until after he disappeared. On December 29th, 2010, Fazi, sorry if I'm saying that wrong, Fazi called his wife to tell her that he was at work with colleagues and would be home later that night. That was the last time she spoke with him. When Fazi never returned home, his cousin reported him missing to Peel Regional Police the next day. 
A week later, police discovered Fazi's abandoned car a short drive from the home on Mallory Crescent, where the remains of MacArthur's victims were discovered. In divorce papers, Fazi's wife later filed. She said investigators believe that Fazi had abandoned his family and did not want to be found. Oh, fuck. That's so fucking sad. (sighs) That's the furthest from the truth. He just had this deep, dark secret that he wasn't ready to, he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave his family. But that doesn't ring true for his friend who says that the last time he spoke to Fazi, he was working overtime to make sure that his kids get all the things that they, that were on their, that were on their wish list for Christmas. In a victim impact statement, his wife said that since Fazi's death, she has lost her ability emotionally and physically to do daily activities and that their daughters suffer terribly knowing what happened to their father. She said that when they were alone in their room, they take, oh, they, I can't. they take a picture of their father with them. They also talk about the times their father would play with them and of their memories of being together. That's tough. Like that's, that's a tough that's pill to swallow. Sad. It's so awful. Like, fuck. Majid or Hamid Kehan, 58, lived on Church Street in Toronto's gay village and frequented bars in the area. Kehan knew MacArthur before he went missing. Karen Frazier, the owner of the Mallory Crescent home where the remains of victims were found, says that Bruce once brought Kehan to her house. He was last seen by a friend in the area of Alexander and Young Streets on October 18th, 18th, 2012. Sorry. Kehan's adult son reported him missing a week later. MacArthur killed him on or about the day that he went missing. Jalil Kehan, Majid's brother, said in a victim impact statement that Majid was the youngest of the siblings, and that along with many older siblings, he leaves behind nieces and nephews, two children, and three grandchildren. Oh my god. Sarosh Mahmoudi, 50, was an easygoing jokester who liked to go camping and play soccer. That's how Brett Morrison remembers him. The two men were friends for about a decade while they worked together at an automotive parts factory in Barrie, Ontario. He says everyone who met Mahmoudi liked him. Mahmoudi came to Canada as a refugee when he was about 20. As far as Morrison knows, he didn't have any family in Canada until he met his wife here. The former colleague says that Mahmoudi left the factory in 2008 and worked as a taxi driver in Barrie for a while before moving to Toronto to be closer to his wife's family. After that, the two friends lost touch. Mahmoudi was last seen on August 15, 2015 near his apartment building on Markham Road in Scarborough. He was killed on or about the same day by Bruce. Mahmoudi's son-in-law reported him missing. Oh my God. Andrew Kinsman, 49. His intelligence shone brightly at an early age, and he had developed an affinity for chess at age four. His sister Shelly said in a victim impact statement, he could skillfully beat opponents that were five times his age. She described him as the kindest and most compassionate sibling, and that under his gruff demeanor, he cared deeply for the welfare of all. He championed social justices, uh, so sorry, he championed social justice issues and enjoyed helping others, she said. Kinsman was a diverse individual who could be found by baking in his kitchen, volunteering at the food bank, or partaking in debates. Greg Dunn said Kinsman was his best friend and that they took many weekend road trips to Ottawa and Montreal. For years, they went camping every other weekend, were avid hikers, and shared were avid 
were avid hikers and shared their love, respect, and concern for nature. One of Andrew Kinsman's friends described him as one of the most predictable, responsible people in their life, in her life. Kinsman spent decades involved with the Toronto HIV AIDS network and had oh. deep roots in the LGBT community. Um, it was one of his friends that started that rainbow yeah. group. Yeah. The missing rainbow. Yeah. The missing rainbow. Yeah. Uh, he was also a superintendent of his apartment building in Toronto's Cabbage Town neighborhood, where he lived with his beloved cat. I'm 17 years old. So when the aging feline was left alone a day after the city's annual pride parade in June 2017, his friends grew worried. Ted Healy knew Kinsman for 20 years, and he says that he was happy, upbeat, and when the two ran into each other the day before Kinsman disappeared, that's how he remembers him yeah. that day. Uh, he was last seen on June 26, 2017, and surveillance, vid surveillance video shows him getting into uh, Bruce's van outside of his apartment building that day. Police say the two men had been in a sexual relationship for some time, and Bruce killed Kinsman on or about the day that he went missing. He wanted, Kinsman wanted to make the world a better place for those struggling to survive. Yeah. Megan Marion said that she first met Kinsman 10 years ago when she moved into the same apartment building. And the two friends would meet on the roof of the building uh, where Kinsman would say, I only have 10 minutes. And then hours later, they'd still be chatting. <laughs> so fucking cute. Souls of the earth, human mm -hmm. beings, I tell you. Kinsman took care of Marion's pet birds and taught them to eat vegetables. When Ooh. she came home, Marion... Marion said that the birds liked him better than her. Oh, he made people want to connect to share to gather together. Said Marion, who said that Kinsman regularly baked for the building. Oh my God. When they first met Marion said Kinsman was recovering from cancer oh. and had been expected to be terminal. Oh no, no. He had cancer again the year before he was killed. She said, I watched him recover through what seemed to be the sheer force of his will, Maria said. Andrew had committed to life. He wasn't done. Oh my fucking God. That is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Pretty heartbreaking. 44-year-old Salem Essence brother remembers his tender and kind humanity before everything else. He was born in Istanbul and grew up in Ankara, where he worked to help support his family while earning a university degree. His older brothers, Omar Essen and Farat, Sinar say Essen was unhappy as a gay man living in Turkey and spent several years in Australia before moving to Canada in 2013 to marry his boyfriend. Mm. Mm. Relationship didn't last, but Essen stayed in uh, Toronto and he was a very friendly, open and curious man who was passionate about learning new things, gardening, exploring new places and meeting new people. According to his family, he had a passion for studying philosophy. Essen had been a client at the Toronto based St. Stephen's community house, but he had also completed a peer training program and was set to begin providing peer support, Whoa. such as accompanying others to medical appointments, running workshops and such like that. Salim had reached a turning point in his life and was set to be fantastic peer worker, full of compassion, wisdom, and sincere desire to help others. He felt strongly about equity and justice and cared deeply about the well-being of everyone around him. Oh God. These are such like beautiful human beings. I know. I mean, his, it, his family was devastated. They uh, want people in the LGBT community to be able to live without fear and they'll wow. continue asking why that's not happening. So 
his friends and family stand behind him to this day. Um, Dean Lissowick, 43 or 44, we don't really know. He inherited his mother's artistic talent and was happy to send her one of his paintings at some point. He kept in contact with his parents. Um, he was the, the homeless man, kind of transient. Yeah. Um, he kept, he was, oh, sorry, he... He kept in contact with his parents who had divorced until he developed mental health problems, which led him to living on the streets. He would occasionally send his mother cards for special occasions, not just ordinary cards, but cards that had to be searched out carefully for their expressions of love. Of so they were like specifically chosen just for oh. her. And she could tell that about Liswick as well. So he had a daughter that he never got to know. Oh no. Um, the crown read out a statement by his daughter who said that she never knew her father. Yeah. She says, quote, I was told he lived on the streets downtown growing up, knowing that wasn't easy. She wrote, I have a child and another baby on the way. And unfortunately one day they will ask about my father and where he is. And I will have to tell them how he was taken away from the world. Oh, Liswick's cousin, Julie Perro said in her victim impact statement that the last few times that she saw Dean, he was making plans, setting goals, doing whatever he needed to do to accomplish them. His face lit up when he talked about his daughter. So he knew he had a daughter. He just never had the opportunity to see her. That's... But she, he was very proud of her. Yeah. And that he one day wanted to get his life together so much that he could buy an electric bike and go see her. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That'd Sad. be hard to hear, like, too, as the daughter. Like, mm -hmm. ugh. That Kumar Kanegaratnam, 37, came to Canada in hopes of a bright future in a new country that could help him provide for his family in Sri Lanka. He arrived in 2010 as one of 492 Sri Lanka fleeing, sorry, Sri Lanka's fleeing his country's civil war and seeking asylum. Eventually, he ended up in Toronto where he worked odd jobs like moving furniture to send money home. His family described him as the responsible one and the fourth of six siblings. Kanagaratnam lost his youngest brother in 2007 when he was killed during the armed conflict between the Sri Lanka government and Tamil fighters. In 2013, Kanagaratnam told a friend that he'd met on the MV Sunsea that both his application for refugee status and his subsequent appeal had been rejected. In the next couple of years, he phoned his mother every day, but the calls stopped coming in late August, 2015 when she tried to call him and his phone wasn't working. Kanagaratnam's family was very worried, but never reported him missing because they thought he was in hiding. Yeah. Scared that Canadian authorities plan to send him back to Sri Lanka. Oh, no. Just as I had suspected. Oh, he... oh man. So let's take a minute just to remember the victims and their stories. Yeah. Beautiful human beings. Yeah. Every single one of them. No, so that... much promise and so yeah. much like they just wanted to do good. They just wanted to do better. They just wanted to support and provide their families. Yeah, they yeah. had a secret, but that didn't mean that they didn't love their families. No. And that they didn't put their families first. Every single one of them was just a beautiful, beautiful human being. 
The high profile of investigation and media coverage have drawn controversies, including accusations of indifference by the Toronto police towards the LGBTQ, racialized, and homeless persons. There were allegations of racism, victim blaming, mishandling of missing persons cases. And as a result, an external review was sought, which was set to begin on September 1st of 2018, eight months after MacArthur's arrest. The review is to examine Toronto Police Service's handling of missing persons reports, biases within the service, and any obstacles that prevented Lissowick and Kanagaratnam from being reported missing in the first place. Specific investigations to be examined would include Project Houston, Project Prism, and the investigations into the deaths of Alora Wells and Tess Ritchie, which we mentioned early on in the episode. Past reviews are also to be examined, including the review into the 1981 bathhouse raids, the city auditor's report following the Paul Callow investigation, and the Missing Women Commission of Inquiry following the Robert Pickton case in British Columbia. Oh, fuck. So, I really wanted to save the victim stories for last and just to mention that there has been a review and I believe there's still investigations ongoing into yeah. these cases. Um, just awful. Yeah, it is. You know? And like, especially coming off of Brittany's case. Yeah, about the serial killer. And targeting Indigenous women. Yeah. And they're, in, you know, another vulnerable group of people. Yeah. I strongly believe that there possibly could be other victims out there for Bruce MacArthur. 100%. Um, and I do recall when this case, when everything happened, I do remember reading about it in the news. There was a couple of times where he was attacked in prison and hospitalized. Boo-hoo. But, like... I don't think that this story is over yet. I think that more is going to come to light. We got to remember that this was right before COVID time yeah. when the trial was supposed to take place was when COVID the lockdowns first happened. I'm sure that like everything else, these investigations ended up stalemate at that time. Well, and remember they're still, they were looking into like three over 300 cold Properties, cases yeah. that, well 30 properties but 300 cold cases and pinpointing yeah. the ones that match the the victim profile of macarthur right yeah and even though they didn't have the resources at the time to really dig into that deeper that's still something that's yeah. happening like they haven't stopped i really hope that with him pleading guilty that didn't cause them to kind of slow down on this investigation yeah and to kind of like not take it as seriously as they would have if they were still like actively investigating right. as somebody who's trying to pretend that they didn't do it yeah i think that there i think there is other victims out there i think that with the push for an external review and everything like yeah. i didn't i barely scratched the surface of that yeah you know and you i would provide all the links and the sources that you can look into that further but like the lgbtq community yeah. has been demanding more review and yeah. you know just more into this and to be searching for their community members and that sort of yeah. thing. And it's, it's, they are, and I, I can't believe like that, um, Kinsman's friends were like going to these dating apps and being like, Hey, make it an option. If I go missing, yeah. Share my information. Yeah. That's such a brilliant fucking idea. That's a brilliant thing. Because that could that helped a whole bunch of people. Like 
all like like all dating apps should have that option. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. A little bit of a longer episode, guys, but thanks for listening. We uh, definitely will be continuing to follow this one. Yeah. Because I don't believe that it's over yet. No. I do think, unfortunately, that there's going to be more to this one. Yeah. I think him pleading guilty was him hoping that other things wouldn't come forward. He's going to fucking die in prison anyways. Like, oh, what, yeah. a, what do you have to fucking yeah. lose at this point? Thank you, Christy, so much for bringing this case to us today. Boom! You're um, welcome. You did an extensive amount of research. Yeah. If I missed anything, um, I, I really did my best to do the pronunciations, right, of names yeah. and that sort of thing. It's really hard to find how to pronounce names properly. Yes. Like people's surnames and stuff. Yeah. Um, but if there's, if you have any additional information that you want to add to this episode that we can share an update on that maybe I missed, uh, please feel free. You can email us at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. Yeah. You can also find us on our socials. We're on Facebook and Instagram at homebrew murder crew. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you. Talk to you guys next time. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.